Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast. Here we go. You know, I agree with you, Joss. It is nice to be back. Just kind of the, the three of us. Yeah, it's been a little while, I feel. You know, yeah. Ryan was gone, you were gone or something, or you were here, but you weren't really there. I one like three weeks ago. There's times I've been here. But not, but not there. there. Mm. We had a we've had musical guests in, but it's nice. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's just the three of us. It's almost like a reunion. <laughs> I've really missed you. And to you, ladies and gentlemen, it's awesome to be back with you tonight on the Jeremy Webisodes podcast, webisode number 48, recorded Wednesday, June 23rd in the year 2021. Let's pop the bottle. How many weeks are there in a year? 52. Or is that 52-card mm-hmm. pickup? How many weeks are in a year? 52. 52. Is it 52? Yeah. Now, it's a kilo per peck. Is that right? Did I get that right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, what I'm saying is what are we doing for the big year anniversary? What, week 48? We haven't missed one. So, yeah, I guess that's a good point. When is it? What? what well, what let's do some we very laughing? simple math. 49, 50, 51, 52. So four weeks from this very moment. Well, we should start planning. That's kind of, kind of a big deal. The year anniversary. Haven't missed a week. Pretty awesome. Right. Jeremy just asked, how do I figure, like, how, you literally just said, how do I figure out when the, when it's been a year? After we decided 52 was the number. You said card pickup, okay? I didn't know you said anything about it being. <laughs> what so you that's cool. Hand, we yeah, should we try. Got, we got to uh, do something fun. Take this on the road. The boat. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe that'll be the one we finally get to do from sea. That'll be pretty rad. Yeah. That's a big, that's a, that's a good reason to do it. Oh, absolutely. We'll cast off. Take it to the Channel Islands. You want me to pop this thing? Yeah. Yes. Can you see what that says right there? Let me see. I can't. It says 115 proof right on the top. 115 the big... proof. So they go right in and they tell you on the neck of the bottle that you're in for something. Oh, That's got to be something because typically we've talked a lot about labels and labeling, how important it is. They know we read down. Put that as the first thing you see. Right. Hey, this is what we, what we're doing here. But and there's, a, hey, and there's a lot too. Alcoholics. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Is what that yeah. is. No, no, I, I, I definitely don't think it's that. I mean, a lot of people don't like the high proof stuff, the hot stuff. Um, I think that the reason they do it is because there is a market for that, and there is some history to that, and we'll get into it a little later. But different distilleries pick that proof that that you know that they think. For whatever reason, I mean, again, we've talked about it. It's all marketing. You could pick whatever proof you want. It could be 116, you know what I mean? But what they're going for here is barrel proof and a historic barrel proof. Mm -hmm. So um, 1920, Old Forester is what we're drinking tonight. And in 1920, the rule for bourbon was that it had to go into the barrel at 115 proof. Now it's gone up. Now it's 120 proof. Mm. Um, so this is an homage to barrel proof in 1920, and that's why it's 115 proof. So that's wow. that's what we're drinking. Old Forester 1920 at 115 proof. Let's pop it. Oh, Ooh. big one. Nice. Real cork. Nice little wood topper. This is – let me read the bottle here for you. It is in – let me get a light as I have now – how old did we decide I am? 72. In 1920, during Prohibition, Owsley Brown, that's the guy who started mm-hmm. Old Forester, which is funny because it's not called Browns. Mm-hmm. He named it after some doctor, Dr. Forrester. But the guy that started it, Owsley Brown, was granted a limited permit to bottle medicinal whiskey. Mm. <laughs> At 117 West Main Street on Louisville's Whiskey Row which is a very famous little spot, downtown Louisville. So it doesn't get any, you know, kind of more Kentucky whiskey. Right. right? The typical barrel proof at that time prior to bottling was 115 proof. Okay? So uh, 
that's that's what's on the bottle. It's 115 proof, and I'm not getting an age on here initially. Let me pour. Wow. Yeah, that was our best one ever. Throaty. Real throaty. And do you see how they barreled the yeah. neck like that? Yeah. That's where you get that really beautiful sound. Um, let me just off the bottle, off the back of the bottle here. This whiskey is distilled by us only, and we are responsible for its richness and fine quality. Its elegant flavor is solely due to the orig the original fineness developed with care. There is nothing better in the market. You know, you're trying to slang this stuff, and then what's funny is Brown owned pharmacies. So, oh, so he tied it all together. He literally was. How would you pitch it? You know, need need help sleeping? Yeah, you'll love. So one of the you got a cough, yeah, bad back, right? So, interestingly enough, Old Forester brands itself. One of their slogans is the first bottled bourbon. Hmm. Hmm. So, well, what'd you do before? You didn't put it in a paper bag. Well, it was like it wasn't, and I think when he says when he says the first bottled bourbon, I think it really means like the first branded legal. And, or, and branded, you know, I think before that it was much more kind of like your local distiller. But yeah. this this was like, you know, he was going for like like <clears throat> distribution, right? And what's interesting is um, there are some pre-prohibition distilleries that are open now, but they closed during prohibition. Mm-hmm. Old Forester is the only distillery in the United States that was open pre-prohibition, operated through prohibition, and is still in operation. So that's pretty cool. That's really yeah. cool. Um, there were other distilleries that were granted that um, the 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 permit to distill during prohibition um, for industrial purposes, for medicinal purposes. But it's so mm. funny because they literally got the permit to distill medicinal whiskey. Like what in the world? Yeah. Is medicinal whiskey, but it's cool. It's so old that that they spell whiskey without the e, and it's like the one time that it kind of doesn't piss me off because I really truly think that it's 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 so old that he that that that's how they still spelled whiskey. They hadn't adopted the e yet. Um, I generally want my American whiskey, my bourbon in particular, to have the e in in whiskey, yeah. but it it doesn't piss piss me off that Old Forester is uh do, you know doesn't have the e. I mean. Let's be real. The gentleman who's slinging this is medicinal whiskey. That's a snake oil salesman, right? No. Jesus. Oh, so marketing genius. A little bit. I mean, they have to. I mean, know. he's a pharmacist. going to get you crocked. But a lot of, I mean, the pharmacy I, I industry a lot, was a lot of that back in the day. I mean, well, that's where the pharmacy industry really came from snake oil sales and, and, and tonics. Well, and, tonics. Salves. Salves. Poultices. Poultices. <laughs> we all knew it was coming. I know. Simon looked up. We I couldn't know. get it out fast enough. I'm sniffing it. It's hot. I will tell you that right yeah. now. I just had my first sip, and we always talk about how the first sip is always going to be jet fuel. This one definitely is. Yeah. The smell's jet fuel, <laughs> but, um, but it's I'll nice. Give you, it's I'll give nice. you some uh, flavors. Some little things here. Old Forester never gets old. This is right off their website. Our founder, George Garvin Brown, was born September 2nd, 1846 in Munfordville. Munfordville. Munfordville, Kentucky. In 1863, he moved to Louisville to attend high school and eventually became a pharmaceutical. <laughs> yeah, a pharmaceutical. A pharmaceutical salesman. Mm. And it was that particular line of work that led him to create the first bottled bourbon, Old Forester, in 1870. And first bottled bourbon is trademarked. If you think leeches work great, you'll try love medicinal whiskey. Tired of, have, tired of having live animals suck your blood? Yeah. We may have a solution. <laughs> Do you have the consumption? Try whiskey. The cough yeah. that just won't quit. Whiskey. Take a slug of this. Old Forrester is created by George Garvin Brown and named after Dr. William Forrester. No idea who Dr. William Forrester is. We're going to have to do a little research there. Wink, 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 Ryan. To guarantee consistency, George batches bourbon from... So at, at the beginning, he was really just 
blend a blender. He was sourcing whiskey from three different distilleries, blending it and then bottling it, and called that Old Forester. So at the beginning, he wasn't even distilling. You're right. He was blending uh, and, and bottling. Is that stealing? No, no, no. That's still done today. Old, because he was blending. I mean, it was his product at the end of the day. He was, and he's sourcing from three specific uh, uh, distilleries. He was sourcing from Mattingly, Melwood, and Atherton distilleries, and uh, it was presented at the time at ninety proof. Okay, the first bottled bourbon in 1897. In order to comply with the legal regulations specified by the U.S. Bottled and Bond, which we've talked about before, it came with all its own rules and was because Kentucky, the distilleries in Kentucky wanted to be able to say this is what Kentucky bourbon is and it is held to this quality level. Um, and so to be able to be able to put Bottled and Bond on your label, you have to stick to these rules. So for him, for, for uh, Old Forester to be able to stick to those rules, he... Uh, increases the proof from 90 to 100 because that that was one of the stipulations of bottled and bond it had to be barrel proof of a hundred the u.s bottled and bond act of 1897 requires that bourbon come from one distillery and one distilling season so it doesn't have to be from one distillery and one distilling season to be called bourbon but to be able to put bottled and bond on the bottle, it has to be from one distillery in one distilling season. So, because he wanted to be able to do that, he bought Mattingly. He was he was sourcing from three distilleries. He bought the Mattingly distillery, and then started distilling his his own uh, product there there in 1901. And that's when he really got in the game of being a distiller. Old Forester became a single distillery, a true bottled in bond Kentucky bourbon. So that happened, and then in 1910, a fire on the bottling line shut down production, and in order to hold on to their uh, product that they already had, they dumped it back in barrels, and it was the first time anything had ever been double-oaked. Mm. And it was another oh. happy accident where uh, at the end of that season, they they had a product that they called the Very Old Fine Whiskey, and it was the first double-barreled bourbon. And that happened in 1910. So there's a lot of firsts in Old in old for, Forester. Pretty cool. In 1920, Prohibition hits. Old Forester was one of the uh, a handful of companies given a permit to sell and manufacture whiskey during Prohibition. And the only one, as I mentioned before, that's still in business today. So that's really cool. Um, Boy, they've really got a... Got a, a storied a history. story to tell, huh? Today, Old Forester remains the only bourbon continually sold by the same company before, during, and after Prohibition. Pretty cool. Good for them. So during World War II, they converted the entire distillery to produce industrial alcohol. And they uh, two weeks after Pearl Harbor, Old Forester uh, delivers their first high-proof industrial alcohol to help World War II efforts. They were the first distillery to convert entire production to industrial-grade alcohol for the war effort. So that was cool. They were helping out, you know. So industrial strength. Industrial is that like grade alcohol. They were using that proof? as a solvent to clean, you know, yeah. machine parts. I don't know who the hell they were doing with it. Gunny was definitely cutting it with some water and putting it in his canteen. Right. <laughs> they were the first company in 1951 to come up with the specialized holiday decanter, which is nice. The old Forcer crystal nice. decanter. There you go. The first, you know, was uh, interesting. Um, so anyway, yeah, a lot of lot of firsts here. Um, and this, this, uh, this 1920 at, at 115 proof is an homage to what the product would have been in 1920. Well, if I close my eyes, we can, it, let's I'm take back. it back. Could you live in 1920? Could yeah. you do the Roaring Twenties? I yeah. mean, I like a hat. I like right. to wear a First hat. First of all, you have to look good in a trench coat and a hat. I like to wear a jaunty, a jaunty hat. Yeah. Uh, Lucky Strike on filters is probably right. standard fare. I'm done to smoke. No filters yet. Who needs filters? It's 1920. Right. We don't even have yeah. chest X-rays yet. Smoking is good for you. Yeah. It helps with digestion. Yeah, like like the the, the dad and grandpa had bacon at every meal. Right. Like you still were part of like a business, like where every like you had business luncheons, <laughs> like a time when there was a lot of luncheoning happening. <laughs> Like, I feel like luncheons is a thing that kind of like, kind of like the hat. 
of 1920s. What happened to the luncheon? It's doomed. Which it is w- totally different than the Did COVID kill the luncheon? Y- yes. Well, COVID, yeah. Killed everything. But I think luncheons were fading out pre-COVID. Kind of like the jaunty hat. Right. I like a luncheon. I like a luncheon. You know, you, you have. it's early to have to be on like that, though. It's totally you know, different d- than d- going d- to lunch or like a business lunch. Right. Yeah. A luncheon. A luncheon's like groups of people. Right. There's probably a speaker. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's probably a- likely to be either a buffet or a chicken peel-off chicken right. you know, dish. Yeah. Right. There's a theme going on. You know right. what I mean? Right. Right. It's Some sort of organization. organization. Right. You're there to support an organization. There's generally a speaker. Professional group. Right. Like, you know, having to be on like that at 1130. How on do you have to be to sit there and eat a chicken and rice pilaf? You have to talk to the organization, the president. But, yeah, you have to dress up a little bit, right? Especially the ladies. Right. It's a professional wear. Yeah. And you kind of got to give a good account of yourself. Now, it's, it's been a long to time do since I've early. been to the luncheon. But a brunch, I still brunch. Now, is that the thing? A well, luncheon is more of a business thing where a brunch is fun. Yeah. But you don't, is, do, you don't really do a right. business brunch. No, no, no. no. Right? A brunch is associated with m- fun. Unlimited m- mimosas. M- m- mimosas. You also get bacon and sausage and sometimes even two different hash brown uh, potato options. Right. A luncheon is very dialed a in. A business brunch is a luncheon. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Is it yeah. safe to say? Yeah. yeah. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. A luncheon has some kind of deli meat. A brunch does not. Really? I don't think you have like ham or even a better example, they like turkey. They don't at, have a, at a carving brunch. station at a luncheon. They don't have a carving station at a luncheon, but they might at a brunch. They might, yeah. And in fact, they should. Yeah. If they don't have a carving well, station, why would at the you brunch? have a carving station at the brunch over the luncheon? I'm not I think saying you can have I'm, a carving I'm station at saying, a luncheon, at a I'm, nice luncheon, a, pr- a prime rib slicer at a luncheon. Oh yeah, in the like uh, the, the 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 pearl room at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> I mean, if they we're got talking the, prime rib. That's where I start. You, you, the luncheon, especially when it's an organization or something like that, it's the hey, we're going to serve you lunch so you show up and support us, but we're not going to overdo it because someone's going to be speaking. Well, maybe that's the to... thing. So brunch implies buffet, yeah. whereas luncheon is probably likely like served. Yeah. And that's why it's and it's generally like an overcooked piece of chicken and mm-hmm. a rice pilaf, some sort of steamed salad. veg. A Caesar a salad. Roll. Well, that's, that's One roll. That, hard butter. That's very accurate. Right. Like, like a lemon... Chicken, rice pilaf, right. and a broccoli carrot steamed. Right, right, for sure. The broccoli carrot steamed, overcooked. They'll have right. a iced tea and lemonade station. Iced tea and lemonade right. station. And there is wine, but everybody's going to judge you. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's going to just sit there in the middle of the table until your boss has a glass, and then and it's then, woo, it's all on. Brunch is you order Bottomless the mimosas to start, and then you start eating like. 20 to 30 minutes after you start drinking. Brunch is the only meal where it's appropriate to have like prime rib, a Denver omelet, a taco, some chicken fingers, and chocolate pudding right. all on the same right. plate. Right. I, I I agree 100%, and I have really dialed in the brunch. The, the brunch. You you Who does not start with the crab legs, shrimp, or the yeah. oyster? Uh, some seafood. Right, the cold seafood. You kind of start there, I think. Right, the salad. You, you gotta, go, you go Bloody in, Mary. Well, I mean, maybe shrimp cr- or crab legs. Yeah, I like to you, you call that my salad course. My yeah. salad course generally involves the cold. A seafood. crustacean. Yeah, some kind of crust <laughs> and an Asian. <laughs> some crusty Haitians. <laughs> then you switch it over to the mimosa, right. and uh, and you go into the second phase of right. your brunch. I generally go. Heavy. We talked about this when we when we've we, we've we've brunched together in the past. You do a lot of swine on swine. Yeah. Right. You're very likely to have ham, bacon, sausage. You know, and like a, all and, all on the same right? plate. You have a ham steak, like the big With T-bone, the bone. like the bone in it, and bacon. Because the bacon's in the in the in the chafing dish, and it's that kind of like cooked curled bacon where when you take one, you get three. Yeah, yeah. you use the tongs and you go in. You think you're gonna get one, and you get like the the plate, like the hat, like the there's, stuck together. There's some, 
adhesive keeping like six pieces together and you kind of like half-heartedly shake it like and look around like i only wanted one piece but then you take all 20 correct i love that right i didn't mean to get 20 pieces of bacon but they're stuck you know you guys know you guys all saw this right the bacon is uh on the topic of bacon of all the items at a brunch i think that's the one i know i can do better at home mass bacon making it's it's hard to get it right. Yeah, you tend to do it's it on a sheet pan a little bit. Is, that's not the way to do. And bacon. they need it now. Yeah, you know, the bacon needs time and love to get it. Even if right you make it you crispy, if you pile, if it's sitting on top of five pieces <laughs> of bread, and then there's six hundred, well, even the steam escaping off that one can't get out, and now it's now it gets soggy or gets a little limp. Like that long duration of from when it stopped being cooked and now getting to your plate. I got to be honest, yeah. I do not hate limp bacon. Hmm. I kind of like limp bacon. Yeah. There's there's a spot for that. I don't I definitely don't love super super crispy bacon. Yeah, yeah. That's how my mom wanted it. My mom wanted it like just under burnt. That's how our, we grew up in our family. I like, like 30 it. seconds from ruin. I, I don't mind a little limp bacon. Yeah. It can, it maybe, you know, it's kind of like crispy in the middles, but your little fatty tips oh, are yeah. kind of a little kind of rubbery still. I don't hate that. Most underrated and overrated item at a brunch. You start. I'm putting you on the spot. It's not I, an easy question. I have, a, so these I are have not an easy overrated. Questions. Okay. I have my overrated too, and, too. but not an underrated. And I think yet. both of you will disagree with mine. Eggs Benedict. See, I fucking love Eggs Benedict. Okay, I, I, I will it, agree. It, it, it's not mine, but I agree with it. It's, the problem is, uh, way often, it, it's somehow the coldest dish. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, to keep yeah. warm, but but if you get it right, if I go to a brunch and they don't have the chafing dish of Eggs Benny, then I'm very put off. <laughs> I'll call them out on like, how do you have a brunch and not have the Eggs Benny? I think they have, so you think that's the most overrated. I like yeah. it. I like the Eggs Benny. I, I get it pretty much every time. <coughs> What's your most overrated? Anytime I see a turkey carving station. Yeah. Who who needs that? Right. My, I was going to just I don't go have that- enough stomach. I'm never going to waste any of it on turkey. I was going to go kind of across the board with the carving station in general. Yeah. That's generally it, the lines long at the carving yes. station. I don't love roast beef. It tends to be a little too rare for me. I only like the end cut, and if the end cut's already gone, I'm not interested it, anyway. I don't want the turkey. I don't necessarily want a thickly cut piece of wet ham. Yeah. Right? I'm not a fan of thick ham. I don't need the carving station. Like, that's the one for me that's the most overrated. And everyone's like, oh, the carving station. like, okay, whatever. I'll be over at the kid. Like, I like the kids' food table. It's always got their its own table. There's, like, a chicken finger and, like, mashed and mac and cheese. I you like know, some you know sort of jello. I, yeah. You know another one I never get? What? I'm not necessarily saying I don't like it, but I never, ever go to it at a brunch is the Belgian waffle. Yeah, I never go to the waffle station, or I'm not a waffle or or pancake guy. I yeah. like both, but I don't do it at a brunch. Yeah, it just seems fun. like it's taking up room. Yeah, I'm not going to do the waffle station. I might do the omelet station, yeah. but probably not. The line's too long. I'm not going to wait in line. I, uh, I'm going to pick do the and choose station. my way down the, down the line. You're an omelet man? Yeah. What's in the omelet? Uh, usually, well, you definitely cheese. Well... Uh, onions for sure, mushrooms, uh, bacon or sausage. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I'm just not a big omelet guy on my best day. Yeah, I, like I rarely. Omelet. I, eat an omelet. Omelet. I had an omelet this morning from RJ's Cafe. I mean, I don't. I would. I ne- let's put it this way. I never go. I never order an omelet. I would never go out for breakfast and go to like a diner and order like the Denver omelet. Like it's, there's so many other things. I'm so much more likely to get the biscuits and gravy or the chicken fried steak. Or the... Why is a chicken fried steak not in a brunch? Why is it not there? Because that's us? another one. You can't keep that in the chafing dish. It's just gonna get it's like soggy. soggy. Yeah. So you know, I guess you could have them kind of like in the chafing dish, unsauced with the gravy and ladle next to it. So you kind of gravy it yourself, but, but then you, the, it's a little it, lackluster yeah. under the heat lamp. I mean, I have definitely seen biscuits and gravy at the brunch where you've yeah. got the, the bowl of gravy and ladle and the chafing dish full of biscuits, soda biscuits. Oh, yeah. How about liner? Liner is one that I think I'm a big fan of, and you don't see quite celebrated quite as often as the brunch. Did you say liver? Liner. What's liner? Lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Oh, lunch like and the, dinner. The, 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 the fourth the, meal. The late lunch, the early dinner. 
Yeah. Is they it, used so, to call it supper. Back in the day. So this is the newer word of supper. Right. Yeah. Sunday supper was like four o'clock, right? Right. I think it's because so brunch is like kind of a party. You know, you're getting together with friends, you're drinking mimosas and you're drinking or but that's, you know, noon to two, three o'clock. Well, now you're not going to dinner. Well, you're you definitely well, not going to dinner and brunch day. on the same day. Well, I know, but, but for but, me, but, a liner, for instance, a great uh, example of liner is the you know the neighborhood barbecue. Yeah. Or like the, the cookout in the park. Yeah. You know, like the three thirty, four o'clock cooked chick, like barbecued chicken, couple tacatis. You know, that's but, li- that's a good liner. But but in that scenario, your your options are pretty limited. It's Hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken. Right. It's at that point. It's a, it's not now. It's no longer in the realm of commercial. Yeah. Food. Right. This is liner is kind of something you're celebrating on your own with friends. Yeah. You're not going out to liner necessarily. No. no, there's no out to liner. Nobody, That's why there's one server in the restaurant from two to four. Like there's brunch and they'll celebrate their Sunday brunch, but nobody has specializes in like Saturday liner. Hey, Saturday liner. We have uh, uh, Bud Light. And uh, oh, you mean basically the same stuff you always have? Yeah, yeah. right. See, I I always correlated the word supper as a very bluesy word. Well, you know, I think supper I guess- is like you could. Sorry, it's like I, I feel like speaking of the 1920s, like the parents are dressed up for some reason in slacks and like everyone has to work the next day. Supper is usually considered a Sunday deal. Yeah. Just like, it's over. Well, you know, I think now that I think about it, brunch, there's really that distinct crossover between breakfast foods and lunch foods, whereas the line's a little more ambiguous between lunch foods and dinner foods. Yeah, For sure. I mean, they're not going to have a ham sandwich and, uh, you know, and a prime rib. Right. Like, that's like two, uh, you know, that's a definite lunch and a definite dinner. Like, when do you have a ham sandwich for breakfast? Mm -hmm. When do you have a ham sandwich for dinner? I've had it all. I've had a ham sandwich for every meal. We're 100 years old. I like a ham sandwich for breakfast. Please. Oh, yeah. Grilled ham and cheese for breakfast? Very appropriate. If we put a scrambled egg on there, it's a moon's over my hammy. Okay. I was going with ham, lettuce, tomato on a, you know. I don't want veg on my breakfast sandwich. That's a distinction I make. Hence. Lunch. You weren't talking about yeah, well, breakfast yeah. sandwich. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Jeez, no, moon's over my hammy. It's a breakfast sandwich. It's a lunch sandwich. It's a dinner sandwich. Breakfast yeah. for dinner. Yeah. Binner. Love it. Now, that's not something that's really celebrated, but it's something that I love. I do it all the time. I love having breakfast for dinner. Now, I'll maybe have an omelet. I'm probably much more likely to have an omelet at dinner time than I am for breakfast. Omelet, some hash browns, throw a little ranch, side salad. Now we're having a good time. See, I, no, I'm not a breakfast for dinner guy, but I'm a breakfast for 2 a.m. after the bars guy. Same thing. I'll get that instead of a burger. To You know, when you go with your buddies to grab something to eat because you're all kind of half in the bag. That's when you get Half? Well. How's this 118 poop? Pass the bottle. It's good. I'm, uh. Let's. We didn't really talk about it. What are you guys getting? Because I wanted to get through the first couple sips before yeah. we really kind of started talking about it. And then we talked about food for twenty minutes. Orangey. I don't think Jared likes it. I do. It's it's hot. It's very spicy. Oh, very spicy. I definitely taste orange. Some cherry. A lot of heat. Got a lot of heat. You know, the doctor will see you now. I know, this will definitely a clean your sinuses out. Yeah, and b if you ever have tonsillitis, if you ever lose your tonsils, I mean, let that slide down it'll, there. It'll it'll cover sterilize it right that. Up. No problem. Sterilize. You got a done. bug in your stomach? This yeah, will take care of it. Right. You accidentally drank paint. Yeah. <laughs> take a swig of this, man. It'll cover it right up. Accidentally drank paint again. Again. That was the thing they were worried about. Nineteen twenties Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Jesus. Take a swig of this, Buster. You'll forget all about it. Yeah, I'm getting some... It's just a lot of spice. I'm definitely getting some orange peel. Yeah, it, I said it orange. It kind of yeah. has the, um, like, a fall, you know, almost Halloween, Thanksgiving... Yeah, it's one of those know, ones pun, that... Like, m- mold... We've uh, put that in a category before. We call them kind of, like, holiday, like, yeah. cold-weather mm-hmm. bourbon. It feels like... Uh, like 
clove and orange. Yeah, yeah. Is this is a, a much more bowl. kind of a cold weather bourbon. That's holiday. Very good, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, Jer and I, I can see us walking down our neighborhood with a bottle of this in tow. Right, and a cold night. Cold night. There's nothing better Same than carols. high-proof bourbons on real cold nights uh, being consumed outdoors. It's fantastic. I love it. It is really nice. Oh, on a fire? Today, in Southern California, <laughs> it was 92 degrees. <laughs> so, right. Winter. Yeah, yeah this is much... I've, yeah, I, I see that. I see this as kind of a more wintry bourbon. I'm going to take another hit on it. It's good. It's actually, it's funny. It's just like we say every week. It's it gets better, better every better. sip. Right. That was my third sip, and it finally wasn't, like, super fiery. Yeah. So, um, in looking up uh, Dr. William Forrester, um, they literally have a minute-by-minute count of his life, and it's just way too much information. I have no idea what this guy did. What I is mean, he? You can know what he's most famous for. Can you do a Wikipedia where, like, the first paragraph will at least? Yeah. Well, so he, you know, obviously became a doctor. His dad was a doctor. What? Became, what? Became when? A, a surgeon. He was born in 1836. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in uh, Valley Station, Kentucky. Do, do a quick math there. That's 1836 to get to 1900 is 64 years. And then 20 more. He was 84 in 1920. Yeah, he went to the University of Louisville. He was the head of his class in 1862. Uh, he then entered the Union Army. From Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, uh, was the assistant surgeon of the 5th Kentucky Cavalry. Interesting. Huh. 1963, he was promoted to the head surgeon. 1863. Sorry, 1863. I think he'd have sh- pretty shaky hands by 1963. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, am, I do have to say that at 115 proof, I am almost very literally feeling every sip. Yeah, it, ex- it th- this accelerates. That being said. Here he goes again. Can you bring it over this way a little bit? I broke out the heavy glasses again tonight. You know, Ryan, I like the thick ham. Yeah? My uncle makes a great smoked ham. Mm. And it's black on the outside. You know, that, that, you know, it's, you know, it's not thick like two inches. No, I don't hate a thick ham. I don't hate a thick ham. I like ham. I like a spiral cut. I like a honey baked. I like a honey baked, um... I don't. I mean, I like a ham sandwich, like a shaved, you know, shaved ham Ooh, on a, yeah. a sandwich. What I don't like is the, um, uh, like the Denny's uh, ham breakfast steak. ham steak. Yeah, like that's like just the, like with the big bone in. The yeah, bone like, in mm, ham steak. No, I'll just have bacon or sausage. I know, and I agree. I you ne- you never pick ham as your side over bacon or sausage, but. Yeah. That's also not the best representation. Well, I will tell you, though, um, again, I, it ham. doesn't surprise me as a guy from Southern California that that's not your favorite thing because the iterations of, that you've had have probably been kind of subpar. But in the right part of the country, that dish is fantastic. <clears throat> like a right out of the smoker Berkshire ham, yeah. cut off ham, like bone in, served you know appropriately with some red eye gravy and some uh, cornbread. I mean, that I guarantee you, you know, and some red beans and rice. I could get you into a bone-in piece of ham that would change your religion, for sure. Okay. I have another doctor fact, if you uh, okay. want me to. Okay. So, um, between 1867 and 1870, uh, he was actually going, you know, door-to-door to doctor's offices selling pharmaceuticals, air quotes. Um, and at the time, whiskey was still the major domestic anesthetic. Uh in, you gotta. You broke your leg. Take a slug of this. Yeah. yeah. You, you got uh, a bee sting. Take a slug of this. We're gonna do oh, right. remove your appendix. Take a cut. Two couple slugs of this. So, Hundred and four fever. Yeah. Whiskey was still the mo- the the major domestic uh, anesthetic uh, until the late eighteen hundreds, um, but also served as a tonic, a pet pill, and a tranquilizer. I like that it's a pet pill and, and a, a tranquilizer, yeah. and we all know that there's that fine line. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey. At one point, it's a pet pill, yeah. and then shortly after, yeah. it's a tranquilizer. Yeah. And often, it's one shot right. that changes those two 
Like w- one minute you're dancing on the dance floor with the tie around your head, and then that one more shot that you didn't need. Why don't we try to make uh, this medicine again? I think we should. <laughs> I mean, why not? Let's go. Why the, we can? It's right there. Let's go it's for the for real the, high proof stuff. Yeah, people are. Uh, People are buying everything else these days. Do you like it? Would you say yeah. that this is one that you would buy? Yeah, and we've secretly, I mean, we're over you, thir- almost half done with it. Can you Google the bottle and see what kind of price range we have? Yeah. Um, the Old Forester, <laughs> when it was in the bottle, was considered an immediate success and also advertised as the doctor's choice. Oh, my gosh. Maybe they were the original doctor's choice of we advertising. We should put that on our bottle. The doctor's choice. And put, like, John Zampezi's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Dre's face. There you go. There's marketing right there. The doctor's choice. Um, so it's about 50 bucks. It's a $50 bottle. Good. That's a good, that's a, you know, solid. Not too much. Not it's right in the price range. Right yeah. in the range. It's not the mellow corn. Oh. It was like I feel like it was like eighteen dollars, and it's not Louis the Fifteenth, and it's not the Louis Louis the Fourteenth, which is still sitting there prominently. I don't really like it. You know, it it looks a little bit. (laughs) It looks lower than it did last week. That's why that one's still around. You can tell the ones I like in the office, and it's like wait, it's like they disappear. You know, where's the Buffalo Trace? There's no trace of it. What did they do? They just started making some other stuff. Yeah. Don't sleep on the Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> I get it. Do you get it? No. The Wink uh, Van Winkle was the oh. guy that slept for 30 days uh, and 30 Rip. nights. Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. His cousin. First cousin. Yeah. First cousin, Rip. <laughs> he was related to Rip Torn also, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were they were cousins of Oral Hershiser <laughs> and Steve Sachs. Yeah. So when Steve Sachs and Rip Torn got together, it was a real oh, mess. Look out. <laughs> that was like the first like T-ball dirty joke you knew. Oh yeah, what if uh, Oral Hershiser's mom got together with Steve Sachs's dad, and your your name would have been Oral Sachs. Yeah, uh, that's you- like an old man. Yes, this is we're watching Ryan's writing process. Right, yeah. right. No, it's like Connell, Continental Airlines and Aer Lingus got together, but they just couldn't <laughs> figure out what to call it. Hey yo, <laughs> that one was good. That was good. I'm I had glad that. I wrote that one when we were on our way to Australia in 1975. Wow, <laughs> when you could still like do it all in the plane. I want to relive that. I want to wear a full suit. A plane ride, I don't know if you consider a ride, a flight. A ride is a roller coaster, right? It, the, the plane's pretty straight most of the time. Everyone wore a suit in 1975 while getting absolutely hammered and ripping cigs. Yeah. Oh, I remember as a kid, you definitely, you dressed up to fly. You dressed yeah. up to fly. Yeah. No. Right. And now I wear, it. like, basketball shorts and pajamas, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a little different atmosphere. Right. Uh, flying on a plane was an event. Yeah, it was an occasion. Uh, meals, it, like remember the like, and they were actually pretty good. Like we're the last generation, I think. Like Simon has no idea how good plane food used to be in like yeah. 1984. Oh yeah. Well, you go on vacation and like we'd all be sitting, you know, wherever, but we're all sitting together as a family on the plane. My dad would be like, get a scotch and like get up to go to the back of the plane so he could smoke. Right. What? Whereas the like. There are people smoking right in front of you. You're in a tube, and, you know, people in the back. You could just have lighters, and people... Well, back know. in the day, what was the big plane that had the upstairs the, and downstairs? Uh, 747. The, the British Airways one. I yeah, think. the 747s had, like, the lounge, yeah. like, the bar yeah. area, where yeah. you could like, smoke cigs and cruise around and... Hard segue! Lobsters don't have much in the way of eyesight or hearing but they do have an exquisite tactile sense. What was the thing about the chimpanzee? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, let's talk about that. uh, You know, I see this. I saw, hey, I got something, you guys. This isn't really news. I don't know what this is. Going through, like, you know, talking about going down a YouTube hole. 
I'm watching YouTube the other day, and I'm see I see these this guy give this chimpanzee like a huge bong load or a dab. Right. First of all, I'm not a huge fan of having exotic animals as pets because I don't think they really belong. I'm not a big fan of pets in general. You know me as a guy that doesn't love having pets, but especially like an exotic pet because it doesn't the fucking thing doesn't want to be there. Like a tortoise. Right. Well, like a, like a cat or a dog has been domesticated for hundreds of thousands of years. Like it's in its DNA to be part well, of society. There's pictures of dogs in the Egyptian right. time. The chimpanzee or the freaking leopard that you have in your apartment doesn't want to be there, bro. Mm-mm. So this guy is given this chimpanzee is a baby chimpanzee clearly, right? Yeah. Which is when everybody wants them because they're cute and you play with them. Oh, look at him! Gets this thing to take this huge bong load, and it just and he's like, oh, bro, and the thing clearly gets all affected by it. Yeah, and I don't think it's cool. No, I think it's fucking straight up animal cruelty. First of all, just having the thing in your apartment. Secondly, giving bringing the thing it to a, a party. Load. Yeah, at a party, what? I mean, it's bullshit. So I don't know. I, I I don't. I'm not gonna give the guy's name or whatever. But to the guy that did the chimpanzee taking a huge dab, I call fucking bullshit on it. Yeah. And uh, and any of those like kind of like exotic pet having kind of it's just a little right. weird to me. Why wouldn't he have just invited you? Right, I'll take you it. You would have done it. And here's the thing: is what's going to happen is that chimpanzee that will then grow up if it's a, especially if it's a male, yeah. become a huge ape. Yeah. That wants to fucking beat your ass for making it wear a freaking Hawaiian print shirt and a diaper for the last yeah. 15 years. I was like, I'm done eating tuna out of the can, taking bong loads and wearing Hawaiian fucking print. And he rips your arm off and bludgeons you to death with your own freaking right. knuckles. What kind of... Uh, it happens. What kind of industrial strength diaper... Do you need to hold that ape? You're feeding together. tuna and giving it bong loads all day. I mean, can you imagine the turds that thing's throwing? Yeah, so they throw them at you too. Yeah, so that's. I think the diapers to stop them from throwing them at you. Right, you gotta. You 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 you. you. He's gonna take that thing off and put it on your front doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> you padlock it on so that he can't get to the turds no. to chuck them. It at is. You. It is disgusting that someone would do that to any animal much less an ape that's going to kill you in two years. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, I've definitely seen that happen where these ladies or, or people have these animals and they think, oh, it's part of our family, Jimbo. It's fucking cute. We make him wear sweatshirts and he loves it. You know, he sits at the table. And all of a sudden, Jimbo's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. And then and, and uh, there's a, a classic case of it. You know, you can look this up, kids, if you really want to go down this rabbit hole. I think it was in Florida. Yeah, I believe so. There was this lady that had this chimpanzee that had been like part of the family. Thing's name was like Bimbo or Bill or Bill Bilbo or something. So and then all of a sudden one day the thing goes apeshit. Apeshit. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, there's a reason yeah. they call it that. Boy, that tied it all in. And literally, like, pins her down, breaks both of her arms, and starts eating her face off. And her friend's on the phone on 911 going, oh, my God, it's eating your face. Look, I'm pretty sure she's dead. It's ripped her entire face off. You're like, like, yeah. Go ahead and take your time. Yeah. 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 So so let that serve as a lesson to, to, you know. Like let the chimp not be living in your apartment. It doesn't yeah. want to eat the your your. Yeah, and, and it doesn't want to eat your weed gummies. Yeah, it doesn't want your weed gummies. It doesn't want to watch Jeopardy. And with I was you. gonna say it doesn't like Seinfeld. Yeah. And, and like an apartment's not the movie right. either. Yeah, it hates <laughs> the rain spooner. Right. It doesn't want to be in the rain spooner anymore. The, the idea of doing a, a thirty-minute ride on the Peloton is not its idea of like natural exercise. It wants to be able to like poop. And not carry it around in a diaper for the next, you know, out couple hours. Right. Again, that that ape's not wearing that chimp's not wearing huggies. I mean, no. there's got to be some sort of quadruple hundred layer gorilla diaper. tape, <laughs> zoo strength, yeah. zoo strength. Could you imagine that? Zoo strength diapers. Hey guys, in in the marketing room. Hey guys, big one. Well, how about zoo strength? For the, do for the you, exotic animal market. Do you have a exotic animal that's bipedal and likes to shit? Yeah. We've got the answer. We've got zoo strength diapers. We've teamed up with Hefty Sack and Gorilla Tape to bring you the shit holding his... But you gorilla are... Dump. Jeremy owns a, a pet tortoise. But I think, you know, a, a, turtle, a, tortoise a tortoise is kind of exotic. It's a little exotic. I mean, I think... I don't make it wear a Ren Spooner no, or diapers. No. No, but it's getting to the point where it's shitting like a Kansas City truck driver. <laughs> I mean, those... 
Those are big turds. I oh, mean, this yeah. tortoise is like two and a half feet, three, almost three feet. Yeah, now. it eats like seven heads of lettuce yeah. and like a stack of bananas in one sitting. <sighs> Can you imagine if you ate seven heads of lettuce and a stack of bananas, you'd shit like a Russian truck driver too. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, 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 I would think that a tortoise would be a low-maintenance animal, but yeah. is it? I mean, what are you up to the groceries a week on that thing? It eats a lot, but it's see, the thing is, is in the right property, it'll graze like a cow. Does it sleep in bed with you? No, they have mites. <laughs> and syphilis. And syphilis. No, that's koala bears. Oh. Koala bears have very, very bad high percentage of syphilis. Jeez. Did you know that? I yeah. didn't. You know what? A 99.999 people of the world don't know that. I just heard that last week. Yeah. Here, I'm going to so show So now you. we're on to koalas and syphilis yeah. from the tortoise. <laughs> just like that. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Koalas have chlamydia. <laughs> Not syphilis. <laughs> Why the heck do so many koalas have chlamydia? Live science says... One of the leading killers of Australia's endearing koalas is a debilitating bacterial infection, chlamydia, otherwise known as the clap. It's kind of like, you know, genital warts. If you've never had the clap, you probably didn't go to college. <laughs> but I'm not that worried or concerned about that because I don't plan on owning a koala. Uh -huh. Or humping one. Yeah. <laughs> or that. Talk about an animal that <laughs> talk about an animal that can't be in an apartment. It makes it a little less cute to know that it's out there with the clap, though, right, yeah. ladies? <laughs> like I'm not holding it now. Oh, look at that cute little koala! Yeah, it's got <coughs> chlamydia. Yeah. The idea of koalas with chlamydia, a common sexually transmitted infection in people, recently drew chuckles on HBO's Last Week Tonight. But the disease, which is affecting koalas in an epidemic proportion, is hardly a laughing matter. Well, I gotta tell you, I still think it's kind of funny. Yeah. Koalas have chlamydia. <laughs> I couldn't bear. To hear any more on this, Jerry. Well, it's like, did you know that most killer whales have genital warts? Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Just made it up. Oh, okay. Well, then good. <laughs> wow. No, but this is true. I know. Koalas really do have chlamydia. Chlamydia is no joke to koalas, you guys. Mm. Surveys have shown that some wild populations demonstrate a 100% rate of infection. So they're but, horny too. But if they is what that all have you. it, don't none of them have it? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, the addition by subtraction. Yeah, I mean, it leads to blindness, severe bladder inflammation, infertility, and death. So now you have a hundred percent of koalas out there just pissing themselves. Do they have? Uh, can they just get penicillin or something for them? Right. Penis swollen. Oh, Penis give, swollen? give them some uh, of the yeah. doctor. Yeah, the, the doctor. The old forester. Clear that right up. Treatment with antibiotics could further create problems with the marsupials, upsetting their gut microbes and making it difficult for them to digest the eucalyptus leaves, which are a staple of their diet. Wait, I'm sorry. Is there a like a clinic in urgent care in Australia? Sorry, a hundred percent of koalas have the clap. It's a pandemic. Well, why aren't somebody we... should make them stay inside and wear? Them. Where's Fauci? Yeah, right. Does I'm... Kaiser does Kaiser cover that? Right. How many vaccines do they have to get? Oh, I gotta go the question down to is, that. will they get the booster? <laughs> yeah. Can, um, yeah, uh, what are you going to do today? I was going to sit around in a tree and eat eucalyptus all day, but I, you know, I got to get out of the tree and run over to that, you know, that koala clap <laughs> urgent care. What is in that waiting room? Yeah. Koalas? What's the, what's the, uh... oh, here's a fun one. Adult koalas catch chlamydia just as people do through sexual transmission. But young koalas can also become infected by eating pap. Oh. You know what pap is? Yeah. A nutritious type of feces. <laughs> A nutritious mm. type of feces. That's I'm assuming one. it's from other koalas. So here's the thing. Koalas eat shit. Dirty little fuckers. Yeah. Okay? You might think they're cute. They're, they're, they're Australia's real cute secretly real dirty little motherfucking marsupial. So, next time you think, oh, well, koalas. Yeah. Shit-eating, horny little clap-carrying tree rats. Wow. 
There's a koala rescue uh, service available if anyone wants to pick one up. You don't want to mouth kiss a koala. <laughs> I think I think people th- seem to think that they're like super calm and all that because that's like the pretty picture. But it's still a bear, isn't it? Or like some sort of yes, right. thing that it's wants called to a koala bear. bear. Like it still wants to rip you apart. It doesn't want you to hold it and just give it because the clap. they've got those cute little dark eyes yeah. doesn't mean they will rip your belly button. Oh. So yeah, koalas, dirty, kind of little dirty little motherfucker. Wow, we have covered so much tonight. I mean, the Jeremy Webisodes podcast—you come here to learn. <laughs> it's us, Bill Nye the Science Guy, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, basically. Okay, anyway, it was good. I've had fun. I really love hanging out with you guys. My Wednesday nights are just my favorite, favorite thing. It's my Friday night. I get to hang out with my friends. I get to drink great booze. I get to talk about fun stuff, learn new things. I mean, I walk away every week having learned something, too, because of the the holes we we find ourselves going down. And I like the way that we do it organically. And we let the topics come up, and we let them either flow or not, you know, and we let it kind of go where it wants. And it's cool. We have serious episodes. We have... Super informative episode, right. and then we have uh, jovial. Right. Well, this I think casual. this kind of covered for me the best iteration of the Jeremy Webisodes podcast are the ones where you come and you learn a little something, you laugh, you have a generally good time, and you, and you walk away thinking, God, that was. I can't wait to tune back in again next week. You couldn't bear that story about the koala. No, no I couldn't bear that story right. about the koala. That's- you. Calyptus? No, I don't know. <laughs> I've learned some grisly things tonight. You Calyptus? <laughs> I think Jer's gone bipolar. <laughs> Herpes? <laughs> no, nope, nope, okay. no, that didn't make it. That koala looks like he's wearing a herpes. <laughs> That's getting closer. Is that something? No. It's 3 nothing me. So we should wrap it up <laughs> with me saying to all of our friends and fans, thank you for joining us right here, right now, on the Joss McGinty podcast. That's not what it is. It's- <laughs> Wait, no. It's right the- here, next week. Oh, I didn't get that right. But I got the, the Joss Thanks McGinty's. for joining us right here, right now. On the Joss Media. <laughs> <laughs>